All right. Amen. That was fantastic, right? How about that? So. Really appreciate all the hard work that went into tonight and this whole week and the coordination and everybody participating from the testimony to the panel and, and all that good stuff. I still marvel. I was in that COD class that Mark sat through. I remember the look on his face like he had landed on Mars. And just to see the goodness of God to go from that moment to teaching the most recent COD class, praise the Lord. So I'm going to be... So now I, I, I know what Sam has to deal with on Tuesday nights in terms of uh, you look at the clock and you go, whoa, uh, this is going to be a challenge. But my goal is to, is to get all your blanks filled in because I know some of you will not be able to sleep if you don't get your blanks filled in. So I may have to uh, skip a few things along the way. But the Heritage 21 Foundation is an organization that assists and advises churches who are struggling to keep their doors open. So what this foundation does is, is they come in and they advise and counsel in terms of helping churches navigate their future, if you would. Stan Granberg is a trustee and vice chairman of the Heritage 21 Foundation. And he talked with about 20 churches last year that had reached a point where uh, they were looking to, to close their doors. And I just want to share with you something that he said. He said, churches are going to be smaller and buildings are so expensive. Churches will downsize or move into rented space or close their doors. Many congregations today are 20th century churches that are not able to transition to 21st century realities. The 21st century realities that he's mentioning uh, point to the fact that churches are dying. Churches are dying, they're closing their doors, they're not making it. And when we hear about that, I think sometimes we envision some small little church, maybe off in Timbuktu someplace with about 20 people that's just kind of struggling to, to, to make it. But uh, that does happen, but the reality is, is there are churches that built buildings to seat thousands of people that today, on a good Sunday, they're at 20% capacity. I mean, this is the reality. One of the largest and well-known churches in America cut their staff budget by $6.5 million, which meant they had to lay off 30% of their staff. The pastor for many years resigned, COVID emerged, and their attendance was reduced by 50% when the dust cleared on all that. Their current senior pastor said this, he said, we are about half of the size we were before COVID, which is right in line with churches across the country. I mean, this is the reality of the spiritual landscape in the United States of America. And it's been my position all along that the COVID-19 pandemic was a spiritual litmus test for the church. In other words, when the dust cleared on that, we all got a true sense of who we really are and where we really are as a church. Have we been holding services or have we been making disciples indeed? The spiritual litmus test that was COVID-19 gave us the truth on that. We often say that if we're not making disciples, we are dying. And this is true. 
But one of the key reasons that lead to a for sale sign on the lawn of a church is not winning people to Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons. An observation regarding many churches that are closing their doors, I read a lot of different things, but, but I, I keep seeing this, and it, it'll go something like this. Uh, an aging congregation and dwindling church attendance, or decline in church attendance. And what that means is, is evangelism has ceased, and when that ceases, inevitably, that church runs out of people to disciple. So for sure, if we're not making disciples, we're dying because that's where discipleship starts. It starts with evangelism. We can never get away from that. By now, we're familiar with the theme this week of all in in my heart and the time that I have left is, is to hopefully enlarge that for you just a little bit more so that it seeps into your heart a little bit deeper. I wanna make sure that we get this. And our text tonight is Ecclesiastes 9.10. I wish I had more time to exhaust it, but for now, uh, we read, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So we understand that whatsoever that we do, we are to do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord and not unto men. Colossians 3.23. But what should be clear, or as clear, is what the Lord has actually commanded us to do. So after becoming new creatures in Christ, we read there in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ministers of reconciliation, that we have been committed, or that the, the, the word of reconciliation has been committed to us, that we are now as new creatures in Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. So, to believers in the church age, that is what our hands have found to do. So we begin with identifying the work. And we want to do that very clearly, obviously biblically. But this is the work. The work, very simply, is to preach the gospel, make disciples out of those who believe, and that includes training and equipping, and then deploy disciples as ambassadors to the world. That's the work. That, that, that is the work that we've been given. This is the work that we put our hands to. But over the years, I have <laughs> witnessed a number of churches just like us. Because again, I know this is familiar to you. You get this. You can teach this right now. I understand. That's great. But I have witnessed a number of churches just like ours alter this work. Uh, they, they found something else to do, something else that catches their eye, something, some other ministry pursuit when it comes to discipleship or, or the mission. And somehow this gets compromised. And there are three, basically, there are three fundamental alterations that you'll see. Number one is identifying the work as evangelism only. This is one of the alterations. So they will preach the gospel or some variation of it to the neglect of discipling those who believe and deploying them to the world. So great resources and effort uh, are, are, are exerted toward basically doing everything that we can to attract as many people as we can into a building so that we can trap them here for the rest of their Christian life. Sad. And if you find that that works, meaning large numbers of people are coming, then that is deemed success. 
hey, man, we're packing the place out. I mean, we, we've got this thing going. This thing is really working. That approach, though, has created a spiritual market, if you would, for the second alteration, which is identifying the work as discipleship and missions only. So these are churches who are sound doctrinally. Uh, They welcome and they treasure good Bible teaching and preaching. They love it. Uh, In a culture like this, people study to show themselves approved unto God. They support missions heavily. That is, they, 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 they pray faithfully for missions. They support it financially. They even go. They're very active and going. It's wonderful. These churches are like a sweet spring in the desert to the believer who got saved at a church but was not discipled there because that church didn't get that. That church didn't do that. And I've had the privilege of talking to some of those people right here where they get to MBT, they got saved somewhere else, but, but that was it. The highlight started and stopped right there and they find their way to MBT and it's like they hit the spiritual jackpot. They're like, oh my goodness, the things you heard up here tonight, like you guys got COD and you got D1 and you got foundations two and three, or is it essentials two and three, Mark? I don't know. You're, you're old school, right? We, we got it. We got it. And then to take it next level, you have LFBI. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's like, man, they, as far as they know, uh, they're already in the third heaven <laughs> at MBT. Uh, This kind of church is certainly not averse to evangelism. Uh, You'll find a pocket or you'll find pockets where intentional evangelism is actually happening. And because the church is mainly all in on discipleship and missions, there is a willingness and even a zeal to disciple those who were not so blessed and fortunate to have that experience from where they came. And here's the third alteration. I wish I had more time. Identifying the work as missions only. So the approach here is essentially humanitarian, right? This is where you'll see Christians, they'll go all over the world. Maybe they'll go to some third world country and they're gonna go so they can improve the drinking water of of that place. Or they're gonna go someplace and and, and feed the the, the hungry or, or, or what have you. And the people who are on the receiving end of that, they might be told to hear something to the effect of, well, God loves you. He does. And that's why we came, just to show you God's love. The problem is the gospel was never actually preached. We've just done a nice thing, and it is nice, and it is good, and it is noble, and, and that's fantastic, but, but, but the gospel was never preached. Now, even a casual Bible study Uh, will reveal to us that when we alter God's plan, when we alter God's work, that never ends well, does it? I mean, that didn't end well for Adam and Eve. Uh, It didn't didn't end well for Abinadab and Nadab and Abihu. Been listening to Mark, I'm getting tripped up on my words. (laughs) For the 10 spies that went and looked into the land and said, nah, we can't do this. I mean, it just... Look at King Saul. You can go on and on and on. Whenever we try to improve upon God's plan, it's terrible. So here we go. Altering the work that God has given us to do eventually yields disastrous results. Every time. 
Whenever we say, God, we got a better way, we're gonna help you out, we're gonna alter your plan, it ends in disaster. Preach the gospel, make disciples, deploy them. That's the work. It never changes. Sam always says whenever we have a vision update, the, the vision is the same. It, it's, you, you can pull up the archive from 10 years ago and you'll hear the same thing essentially. The vision is the same. So that's our work and if we give ourselves to it, should the Lord tarry his coming, after some of us are gone, long gone, and praise the Lord that there are kids in Kidtown who won't have to drive by this building and say, let me tell you what that building used to be. Let me tell you what it used to represent. I remember growing up there, it was great, man. It was fantastic. And then somewhere along the way, somebody got a better idea. And now this building is, somebody has remodeled it and using it for loss. This is how it goes down. So, this segues into our final point in nine minutes. Diligence in the work. He says, do it with thy might. This means that we are vigorous or all in in our approach to the work. Vigorous, all about it. This also means that we are not diligent in altering the work. If we are doing the work that we have been given, then we're going to be vigorous in preaching the gospel. We're gonna be vigorous in discipling those who believe on the gospel. We're gonna be vigorous in deploying disciples as ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation to the world. But listen to me very carefully. From a vulnerability perspective, MBT must guard against alteration number two. We must guard against that where with all our might, we will disciple and support missions, but defer evangelism to those who are gifted or just bold enough to do it. I was personally encouraged the other day, it was uh, Monday, it was yesterday. (laughs) Wow, it feels like Friday to me, it feels like a long week already. But I was so encouraged by what Pastor Bess had to share. Did you guys see that? About all in, what it looks like from a kid town perspective. Man, that was great. (laughs) I mean, that touched my heart. Hearing about children evangelizing, inviting their friends to church and, and ministering intentionally to other children. Five, six, seven, eight, nine year olds. I mean, man, that's fantastic. Listen, if we're not careful, we can subtly look at that as insignificant. Like somehow that doesn't matter as much because it's coming from a six-year-old. God doesn't look at it that way, not at all. The reality is if you are only two-thirds bought in on the Great Commission, those cute little kids downstairs have something on you. They do. They're doing something that you are not doing. They are intentionally and obediently reaching out to the lost. One of the things that the Lord continues to impress upon my heart, and I'm so thankful that he does, is son, stay in a teachable place. Stay in a teachable place. And if I stay in that place, and guess what? I can learn from my little brothers and sisters in Kittown. I can. So for some, 
the thought of you hitting the streets on a Saturday to just walk up into a complete stranger and engage them with the gospel, that is your worst nightmare. Thought I'd get an amen, right? You're like, no way, never. But like our little sisters and brothers in Kidtown, you can engage people that you know. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members, they're right there. This is why we included the Levi dinner for this Friday. We'll talk more about this on Sunday, but this is why this is a big focus this week, is for you to invite someone into your home for dinner that you know needs to hear the gospel. I've been saying this since we've been preparing this. Listen, there are people, most people, that need to hear the gospel who are in your life. They're going to be a lot more likely to come to your kitchen table than they would here. Because they know you. (laughs) You, You've earned the right, so to speak, to be able to preach or share the gospel with them. And then we heard today on how deliberate our student ministry is on being all in, man, that was fantastic. I mean, it was just cool just to hear just, I mean, across the board, the, 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 the intensity, the, the intentionality, it was just, it was just the same. From evangelism to discipleship to missions, it was, it was awesome. They're doing it. I was encouraged by that. My daughter is just like her mother. She's an introvert. She is, very quiet. But you know what? I praise the Lord, she's willing to evangelize. She is, she, uh, she has a, a classmate that she befriended and she recognized an opportunity to, to minister to her by, by giving her a ride home or coordinating that with us to help her get home from school. And that led to an invitation to uh, her and Ken's Bible study. This young lady began coming and then that led to an invitation to go to the youth retreat uh, six months ago, whenever that was, she went to that, made a profession of faith. Uh, now, again, we're, we're, we're still trying to work through that in terms of her full understanding of that, but, but man, God is at work. She, whenever she can come, if she's not working, she faithfully comes to their Bible study. It's fantastic. Uh, the night before the last day of school, I, I saw Bree, she was sitting up really late and she was writing out a card to all of her teachers, a thank you card, and in each card she gave her teacher the gospel. All of her teachers, just like, man, this is my introvert. Like, how about, I mean, bold. And, and she would ask me to read it, some of it I'm like, wow, Brie, like, you're not pulling any punches here. <laughs> like, wow, oh man. I can got to go on the Boston trip uh, a couple of months ago with, with Jeff and, and those folks. That was great. And, and to hit the streets and engage strangers with the gospel, and I mean, listen, doing it there is a little bit different of an animal than here. That's a different place, trust me. And listen, that, 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 this isn't me subtly trying to pat myself on the back. Listen, I praise the Lord for Pastor Jeff Gracier. I praise the Lord for Josh O'Hara. In terms of envisioning and challenging and leading our teenagers to be all in on the mission. And praise the Lord. And listen, it is that significant as anywhere else in the church. But here is an undeniable observation regarding churches that fall prey to alteration number two. Listen very carefully. As age increases, interest and zeal in evangelism 
decrease. You'll see it. You show me a church that has fallen prey to alteration number two, where it's all about discipleship and missions. What you will see as age increases, interest and zeal and evangelism decrease. This is why tomorrow you wanna make sure you tune in to Pastor Ong challenging us to get a burden for the lost. It pains me to see believers get to the place where they just become indifferent about the lost state of people in and around their lives. And what falls out of that and that culture is what you'll see is you'll see adult believers begin to rally around a teaching figure, a dynamic teaching figure or some passionate doctrinal conviction. And that becomes their focus, but please, I implore you, I really do, I implore you. This, I, I'm so thankful the Lord has, has shown me this and, and I'm just gonna keep saying it, maybe because I need to keep hearing it. But listen, churches are not sustained by dynamic preaching. Churches are sustained by being all in on the Great Commission. Churches are not sustained by dynamic preaching. If that was true, then churches that had the greatest preaching you will ever hear in your life would not have become what they've become. Churches can get enamored with incredible Bible teaching while dying a slow spiritual death in the process. The church begins to age, conversions come to a halt, baptism cease, disciples are not being made, and God has to eventually pronounce to that church, you are dead. Close the doors. Listen, I understand the older people get without knowing the Lord, the harder their heart becomes. I understand this. So fruit can look differently depending on the evangelism audience. I understand that. I do, it's a reality. But please, as I close, here's what we gotta get tonight. There might be a disparity in evangelistic fruit in a church, but there can be no disparity in evangelistic interest and zeal in a church. Do you get that? I get it. The, the, the heart of a, of, a, of, a, of a first grader is much softer than the heart of a 56-year-old lost person. I understand that, I do. And so I, I get it, fruit is, in terms of evangelism, it's going to look different depending on different areas in the church, no problem. As long as the interest and the zeal and the burden to preach the gospel. Listen, I, 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 we, we can live with 100 people saying no, as long as we preach to 100 people. <laughs> Does that make sense? As a church, we must be all in on the work. Amen? I did it. I went a minute over. <laughs> 
Lord, I want to thank you. We want to thank you for tonight. We want to thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing here at Midtown. God, we thank you for this week. We do pray that, God, you would envision us greater, burden us deeper to be all in on the Great Commission. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.